Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee, and I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word and learn how to glorify and honor Him as Christians and as part of His church. At the Franklin Church of Christ, one of the questions we get asked most often is, what denomination are you? The lesson that you're about to hear answers that question, explaining what the Bible says about denominationalism and what we strive to do in our service to the Lord at the Franklin Church of Christ. Open your Bibles with me, and let's answer the question, what denomination are we? Just a few weeks ago, we had a gospel meeting, and I thought it was an outstanding gospel meeting. Not that I'm biased. It was my best friend and all the world preaching it, but I thought he did a fine job talking about the Holy Spirit. Throughout that week and prior to it, as I would invite people to the gospel meeting and let them know, I'd say, oh, the church that I attend with is that I work with is having a gospel meeting. It's on the Holy Spirit. They would almost, uh, almost every single one of them would ask the exact same question. What denomination is your church? Does anybody else ever ask you that question? If you start talking about the church of which you're a part or the things that you've done with your brethren or with the congregation, they would say, oh, what denomination are you? How do you respond to that? You say, oh, we're Church of Christ? More and more, that type of language is being used even among what we would call conservative brethren. Oh, yeah, I'm Church of Christ. Or he or she's Church of Christ. Or it was a Church of Christ preacher. Or Church of Christ doctrine. Church of Christ magazine. Church of Christ school. All those types of phrases are used over and over and over again. And to me, it's almost like fingernails scraping down the chalkboard when somebody begins to talk about the local church of Christ of which they're a part and somebody else says, oh, no kidding. Well, I'm church of Christ too. We hear that kind of language over and over again. Is that really the correct answer? When somebody says, what denomination are you? And they're talking to members of this congregation. Is church of Christ the answer? We want to take a look at that. What denomination are we? How should we answer that question? We're going to look at that this morning, but before we do, would you bow with me in prayer? Almighty and glorious God, we're so thankful for Your Word that has revealed to us how we ought to conduct ourselves in Your church. We're thankful that You have provided the answers for us that we need to know to serve and honor and glorify You. And we pray that You would strengthen us to understand Your Word. Father, we pray that here at the Franklin Church that we will be nothing more and nothing less than Your people that we will serve and honor and glorify You Your way as You have outlined in Your Word, that we will lift You up, that we'll lift up Your truth, that we'll hold it up for all to see. Father, help us to recognize that our job is not to decide what is truth, but rather to study what You have said is truth and to live and obey. Father, please forgive us because we've sinned. And we recognize, of course, that that is why we're here. That's why we've banded together because we know we need Your forgiveness. And we're thankful for Your Son who died for us that has gathered us out of the world, protecting us from judgment and from Your wrath. And Father, we pray that You would strengthen us to live in accord with Your Word. Help us to grow in Your Son in His grace and knowledge. We love You, Father, and we praise Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to warn you, I've got lots of things to say, and I'm going to try to say it in a brief amount of time. To conserve on time, I have marked most of the Scriptures that we're going to reference on the overhead. We're not going to be turning to many of them, but I do have outlines that will be on the table in the foyer on the way out if you would like to look at those on your own to make sure that what I've presented to you is exactly what the verses say. We're going to be taking a look, first of all, at what is a denomination. What does it mean to be a denomination? I think 
for many Christians, denomination is typically just, we just say denomination if we believe somebody's teaching error. Denomination equals teaching error, but that's not the case. Denomination does not equal teaching error. There are churches that teach error that are not part of denomination. And so we, we need to recognize that. And there are churches that are parts of denomination, and some of the things they teach are still true. Denomination does not refer to truth or error as far as doctrine. Denomination refers to the organization of which the congregation is a part. I just want to show you a couple of definitions. The first one is from the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. It says, Denominations are associations of congregations that have a common heritage. Moreover, a true denomination does not claim to be the only legitimate expression of the church. And just by the way, in case you're worried about this ellipsis, what it said right there, denominations are associations of congregations, or sometimes congregations could be considered parts of a denomination. Uh, so that, I just left that out for sake of space. But the issue is they are associations of congregations. In other words, there are local churches that have bonded together to form an association or an organization. And that's called a denomination. According to the Dictionary of Religious Terms, denominationalism is a term for the continuation of the organizations and emphasis on the divisions and distinctions of Protestantism. As we consider this, there are just a couple of things that we need to recognize. What is a denomination? A denomination is an organization that is larger than the local church, but smaller than the universal church. Secondly, a denomination, by its very nature, is an emphasis on division. This is what denomination is. Please understand, denomination does not equal some particular doctrine of error, denomination means a form of organization whereby congregations have bonded together in an organization that is larger than a local congregation but is smaller than the universal body of Christ. By its very nature, denominationalism is an emphasis on division. So we ought to just be asking the question right there, is that what we're a part of? Is anybody here a member of some organization that is between the local church and the universal church? Are we focused on emphasizing division? That's the first question we ought to be asking. Another definition that I'd like for us to take note of comes from the American Heritage Dictionary. I actually found it on dictionary.com. And within this definition, we see some earmarks of a denomination. American Heritage Dictionary, this is the fourth edition, says, A denomination is a large group of religious congregations united under a common faith and name and organized under a single administrative and legal hierarchy. Now, I want us to consider this definition. There are three earmarks within this definition that I believe accurately describe exactly what a denomination is. The very first, it talks about the common faith. This is something that we need to think about. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul said that he wrote so that Timothy would know how he ought to conduct himself in Christ's church, the church of the living God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul said that he was going to send Timothy to the Corinthians to remind them of what Paul taught and that he taught the same thing in every church. If that's the case, if Paul and the other apostles taught the same thing in every church, if they recorded what they were teaching in this book, the Bible, the New Testament, then it would stand to reason that everybody who is merely following just what the Bible says is going to look the same. There might be some minor differences, some minor differences of approach, 
But in essence, it's going to be the same. They'll worship the same way. They'll work the same way. They'll teach the same message regarding the plan of salvation. They'll teach the same message regarding Christ. And yet what we recognize, as we take a look at the religious world around us, is there is not sameness. There is division. There are numerous faiths. There is not one that is taught in our world today. How does that? How is that maintained? Well, the way it is maintained is they write a common faith or a creed in addition to the Bible. They have their books that are written that define and govern how congregations are supposed to work, what they're supposed to believe, and what they're supposed to teach. How did this begin? It actually started back in about 325 A.D. After Constantine had opened up the doors for Christianity, he did not make Christianity, the official state religion, but he opened up for it. He issued the Edict of Milan, which allowed for religious tolerance of everyone, of all religions, but he certainly cast his personal lot with the Christians. And he provided laws for the Christians and protection and tax-free for the clergy and all that sort of thing. But there was a little problem going on among some of the Christians. There was some disagreement about exactly the nature of Jesus, how He was God. Was He, was he just like the Father? Or was he somehow different from the Father? And in 325 A.D., they called together a council. It's called the Nicene Council. And they wrote a thing called the Nicene Creed. It's just a very short statement, just three or four paragraphs. I'm not sure that there's anything in there that we would disagree with today. But there was a problem. They sent that sheet of paper back to all the churches and said, this is what you're supposed to believe or you're a heretic. And what that caused was, not that there was anything in that paper different from what the Scripture actually said, But what it caused was a separation from Scripture. At that point, it was no longer enough to simply believe the Scripture. It was no longer enough to speak scriptural things in scriptural ways. Now you had to agree and word it in such a way that agreed with this document separate from the Scripture. That would be like me taking my outline that I have here this morning and saying, well, it's not enough to believe the Scripture. You've got to say it just like this does and believe it exactly the way my paper says. There's nothing wrong with saying, here's what we believe. There's nothing wrong with trying to discuss and figure out exactly what the Scripture teaches, but the problem is when we have some type of document that is now supposed to govern churches, we've taken a step away from the Bible. And over the years, the creeds changed. They were added to. They were taken away from. They were altered. And as time went on, as denominations began to develop, they each wrote their own creed. And we can find that the Catholic Church has their catechisms. The Lutheran Church has its large and small catechism. They have the Augsburg Confession. The Presbyterians have the Westminster Confession of Faith. The Mormons, of course, have their Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price. The Jehovah's Witnesses have everything that comes out from the Watchtower Society, including their own interpretation of the Scripture. The Baptist Church has their Baptist Faith and Message Statement. All of these denominations, they have written their own creed, their common faith that is supposed to govern churches. If I might talk about some turmoil that's happened here in Franklin in just the past few weeks, the church on 96, it's called the People's Church, is having a big discussion regarding miraculous gifts of the Spirit. The reason why that's a problem is because they are a part of a denomination whose creedal position says that doesn't happen anymore. They have a creed that's supposed to govern them and they're pulling away from that creed. And so now, I'm not sure what they've done with that so far, but the issue is that's what a denomination does. It has a common faith. And I hope that nobody's getting upset that I'm mentioning those names. People who are in those denominations know they have them. They know they have a creed. They know they have a book. They know that they have a convention that that writes these things and tells them what's supposed to govern their congregation. And that's just the way it is, because that's what a denomination does. A denomination 
is something that's united around a common faith, and they've written it down so that everybody and every congregation that is a part of it knows what they're supposed to believe and teach. Now, that's not to say that there aren't variations. That's not to say that individual members of those denominations don't disagree with some of it. I'm just pointing out that that's what the denomination has done. They have a common faith, a creed in addition to the Bible. But we'll notice the second earmark. I'm going to skip one. We'll come back to that other one in a moment. But this is the major thing. This is the major issue that makes something a denomination. There is an organization beyond the local church. What happens over time is that somebody begins to teach something a little bit different. And either they convert to your entire congregation or they're booted out and they'll take a few people with them and they'll go off to another location they'll start a church and they're all excited and they start teaching they draw more and more people in. And then they start sending people out and they'll go into other cities. They'll go into other locations and they'll start converting people there to their ideology and they'll start being churches all over the place. In fact, it's a lot like what happened in the book of Acts with the church of our Lord. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said to the apostles that you're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. That's exactly what they did. They went out and they started these congregations all over the place. But a denomination is what happens when these new churches that are planted start looking back to that initial church as kind of a mother church. And what they'll do is they'll look back to the officers within that mother church as ones who are supposed to now govern the entire group. And what will happen over time as the denomination becomes more and more formalized is they'll start developing officers. Within the congregation, there'll be officers. Typically, pastors or priests is what they'll call them in denominations today. But then as there are more and more of those and it just gets too big, they're looking back to that mother church, they'll set up this hierarchy. And so that all the churches, say, in Tennessee will be in a region and there'll be some kind of office that's over that or some kind of conference or convention that's over that. And then, they'll have, as it gets farther and further apart, they'll say, okay, we're going to take the, the, the southeast, and they'll all be under this. And then finally, everybody in the United States. And then if they get into other nations, then we're going to have this organization over the world until finally you get to some group that's way at the top, either a pope or a president or a council or a convention. And as you look down through there, you've got all this hierarchy of officers. And, and the reason for that is, well, we just want to make sure that everybody all the way throughout the entire organization, this group, that's bigger than a local church, but smaller than a universal church, is all doing exactly what we believe they ought to do. And so they'll develop this hierarchy, this organization, these office positions throughout the entire organization. Again, the organization, bigger than the local church, smaller than the universal church. And, of course, they'll suggest that all of it is done under the headship of Jesus Christ. But is it? Is that what the Bible demonstrates? There's a third thing that we need to recognize, and that is that the denominations, an earmark of a denomination is to have a name that distinguishes it from all the other denominations that are out there. Got to come up with a name. In fact, the word denominate actually in its most literal meaning means to give a name to. To name. And folks today in this very ecumenical society in which we live are trying to tell us that the names really don't matter, but there's just a very simple test that you can offer for that. Walk up to a Baptist and call them a Lutheran. Walk up to a Methodist and call them a Catholic. And they will tell you very quickly, that's not what I am. This is what I am. This is the kind of Christian that I am. Now, of course, I mean, I know that doesn't matter, but, but no, I'm not a Presbyterian. I'm a, a Pentecostal. Or I'm an Assembly of God. That's what, they'll, that's what they'll point out, because the names do matter. Now, there is something that is taking place today, and I just want to offer this out to you. There are more churches that are cropping up that are non-denominational. There really are. And I'm glad that more people are realizing that that's the way it ought to be. But there is something that we need to be careful of. 
Because there are a lot of churches that as far as their sign, as far as what they present on the face, are presenting themselves as being non-denominational, but they are still parts of denomination. I have no doubt that there are some community churches that are non-denominational and some that call themselves Bible churches that are non-denominational, but most of them still actually are a part of a denomination. And if you question and ask them, they'll be able to tell you, yes, we're a part of the Presbyterian Church, or yes, we're a part of the Baptist denomination. Down in Spring Hill, there's a new church that just started this last year. They're just called His House. Sounds like a non-denominational congregation. And yet, you find out that they're actually a part of the Assembly of God denomination. A few years ago, there was a church in, in Spring Hill started called the Wellspring Church. But when you talk to them, you find out that they're actually a part of the Christian Church denomination. And so I'm just pointing out that we need to be careful. There are some non-denominational churches that are getting started. If they're non-denominational, I'm happy for them. Then we need to start talking about what they teach to find out if they're teaching the truth. But be careful. A lot of the churches today that are, that are putting on the front of being non-denominational are actually still very much a part of one organization beyond the local congregation. And we just need to do some investigating. So here are the earmarks. Creed beyond the Bible, organization beyond the local church, and a name to distinguish them from other denominations. What do we find in the Bible? Is this what we find? Do we find denominations in the Bible? Do we find an organization that is in between the local church and the universal church? Do we find the issue of creedal statements being written in addition to what was inspired by God? Do we find officers and hierarchy and organization beyond the local congregation? Do we find names to distinguish from other denominations? Well, let's take a look. What do we find? Well, in the New Testament, what we find is the universal church, and we find local churches, and we don't find anything in between. We find that both the universal church and the local churches are groups of people. The universal church is not the group of all the congregations that are faithful to the Lord. The universal church is the group of all people of all times in all places that have become children of God. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus was talking about the one church, the one assembling, as that word should be literally translated, the one assembly of people, the one group of people, all time. All places. But in addition to that, we find local churches. For instance, in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, Paul there wrote to the Romans, the churches of Christ salute you. And in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 2, as Paul wrote, he was writing to a region and he talked about the churches of Galatia. Well, obviously, as far as universal, Jesus only came, Matthew 16 18, to, to establish one church. How are there multiple churches? Well, these passages are talking about local bodies, local groups of people that have assembled together under one leadership to accomplish a common work, to worship the common Lord. That's, that's a local church, but we have then the universal church. But you can read from Matthew all the way to the book of Revelation, and not one single solitary time will you find any type of organization in between there. You will never once find congregations bonding together to perform some type of greater work. You'll never once find that. You find individual Christians that have a relationship with the Lord and His universal body. They're in fellowship with Christ and everybody else who is a Christian everywhere in the world and at all times. And then you'll find local groups of believers that have bonded together, that assemble together in order to worship and serve God and to accomplish His work. But we don't find anything in between. In addition to that, we find no creed except Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16-17, through 17, Paul pointed out, 
All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. Paul said that when you have all Scripture, you have all you need. It will equip us for every good work. We don't need any other revelation. We don't need anything else. We don't need any other documents to govern and bind us. We need God's Scripture, and that is it. The moment we start writing documents to govern churches, we start getting into problems. Well, remember that Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2 under the old law said, don't add to the word of the Lord, don't take away from the word of the Lord. If we're going to write our own document that says this is a governing document that tells the churches what they ought to teach, how they ought to govern themselves, we're going to have one of a couple of problems. Either one, we're going to add to the word of the Lord, or we're going to take away from the word of the Lord. Someone would suggest, no, the creed is just, it's just a restatement of the word of the Lord. Well, if all it is doing is saying the same thing that this says, why do we need it? Oh, well, we need that because, you know, the Bible's really kind of confusing. And God didn't communicate it very clearly to us, and so we need to explain. And so we'll write something in addition to that. Are we going to accuse the God who created the heavens and the earth of not being able to communicate with us in a way that we can understand? Are we going to accuse Him of giving us something that He says will teach us how to work within His church, and yet then say that He couldn't actually do it? Or maybe He didn't, because maybe He didn't love us that much. Or are we going to say that, no, our Father in Heaven is powerful and loving enough to provide us with something that can govern us in our churches and in our individual lives, and we don't need to write anything else to govern? In the Scripture, we find that Scripture is all we need. God had no intention of men having to write anything else to govern us. Then we find that there's no organization beyond the local church. There are no officers or officer positions. There are no archbishops over multiple congregations. There's no presidents or popes or councils over all the churches. There's none of that. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, as Paul had gone through and preached on his missionary journey, he went through and established all these churches. On his way back, it says he appointed elder, excuse me, elders in every church. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4, Peter talks He said to them, as the fellow shepherd, pastor, he said, shepherd the flock of God among you. There's no position of leadership over multiple congregations. Now, this is not to say that churches aren't aware of each other. This is not to say that there's no relationship. This is not to say that that they didn't know about other churches. It's not to say that members of other churches didn't come and visit with them and work with them and preach there. It's not to say that none of that happened. All this is to say is that there were there was a position of leadership and authority within the local congregation. The pastor, bishop, elder, shepherd whichever one of those terms you want to use, but it was within the local congregation. If an elder from one congregation traveled to another congregation, he was not a leader of that congregation. He was not an authority over that congregation. He was simply a brother from another congregation that's here to worship and work with us, to help us. He might teach us something, but he's not an authority. There was no position of authority beyond the local congregation. There was no hierarchy. There were no presidents or councils. There was none of that. There were just Christians that were meeting together, being led by their shepherds under the headship of the chief shepherd. And that's what we find in the Scripture. And now, what about the name? What name were they called? Here's the kicker. Are you aware of this? That in the Bible, never once 
is the church of our Lord actually named? It's only described. Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, Paul there said, the churches of Christ salute you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1, Paul wrote to the church of God, which is at Corinth. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1, he wrote to the church of the Thessalonians. Why did they call him these things? Did Paul call it the churches of Christ because that was their name, church of Christ? No. He wrote because that's what they were. Groups of people who belonged to Christ. Why did he call it the church of God, which is at Corinth? Was that its name? No. He called it the church of God because that's what it was. The assembly of people who belonged to God, which is at Corinth. Churches of Galatia, why? Because they were groups of people who met in Galatia. The church of the Thessalonians, why? Because it was a group of people of Thessalonica. Descriptions. We'll keep moving on. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 14. He talked about these are churches, churches in Judea. The churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Why did he call it that? Because that, was that its name? No. That's what they were. They were assemblies of people who belonged to God through Jesus Christ and they met in Judea. That's what he called them. Why? Because that's what they were, not because that's what their name is. Then we keep going. We have in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul said, I'm writing to you so you know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Why? Because it's a group of people who belong to the living God. We have in Ephesians chapter 1, these next three are very interesting. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the Philippians, Colossians, he became very descriptive. He didn't even say church. He said, to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now listen, we know it was to the church at Ephesus, but he didn't name it. He just described it. It was the group of saints who are at Ephesus. In Philippians 1.1, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. See, we even there have the concept. We're looking at a congregation with officers within that congregation to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Is that their name? No, that's just what they were. They were a group of saints in Philippi. We keep going, Colossians 1 and verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. We'll keep moving on, and we have in Acts chapter 24, verse 14 and verse 22, very interestingly, while Paul is on trial, he calls it the way. And then just a few verses later in verse 22, Luke, the inspired writer, he doesn't come back and say, oh, Paul made a mistake when he called it the way. He said that Felix had a greater knowledge about the way. Why would he call this group of people that are following Jesus Christ the way? I'll tell you why. John 14 and verse 6 says, what is Jesus Christ? The way, the truth, and the life. Then, of course, we also think about Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, when Jesus pointed out to the, the people that were listening to his Sermon on the Mount, he said, follow the straight and narrow way. The way was a great description because it described the leader of the group and it described exactly what the people were doing. They were following the way. And then we have in Acts 24 and verse 5, Tertullus, who is accusing Paul, he calls the church the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, Paul comes back in just a few verses later. He makes this comment, well, according to the way which he called a sect, now Paul, so he says something about this, which leads us to believe, well, Paul's saying we're not a sect, but, but he never says anything about this. Why is it that they would be called Nazarenes? Well, the same reason that we're called Christians. We're called Christians. Acts chapter 11, verse 26 says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch because we follow Christ. 
They were called Nazarenes because Jesus the Christ was a Nazarene. They followed the Nazarene. And so this guy refers to them as the sect of the Nazarenes. As we keep looking at other passages, we find in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 24, that it's called the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn. It's called Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Most of the time, and here are just a few examples, Acts 11, 26, 1 Timothy 3, 15, 1-2, it's just called the church. Whether it's talking about the local congregation or it's talking about the universal body of believers, it's just called the church, the group of people, the assembly. That's what it's called. What do we find in Scripture? We find in Scripture that there's nothing in between the universal and local church. There's no creed except Scripture. There's no organization beyond the local church. There's no names. There's really only descriptions. So what do we find in the New Testament? No denominations. What would happen if in Acts chapter 2, about 3,000 were baptized and added to the Lord, what would happen if we went up and asked one of them, what denomination are you a part of? Now let's just travel all the way back there. It's about A.D. 30. It's 50 days after Jesus died. 51 days. It's the day after Pentecost. And these people are now meeting in the temple and we walk up to them and say, well, what denomination are you? What are they going to say? They're going to look at us like we're nuts. What are you talking about? Denomination. What, what do you mean? Denomination. What is that? There weren't any denominations back then. There was no Roman Catholic Church. The church hadn't even gotten to Rome yet. There, was no, there were no Protestant churches. The Protestant Reformation hadn't taken place yet. There was no Eastern Orthodox Church. And all that you had was this group of believers in Jerusalem. And what were they a part of? They were nothing more than the body of the saved in Christ Jesus. They were God's church. They were Christ's church. They were the disciples of Christ. They were saints in Jerusalem. That's all they were. They were nothing. And if they heard the words, What denomination are you? They would just look at us like we were nuts. After Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, they would say, we're only Christians. Because in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26 in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They had no organization beyond the local church. They had no doctrine or teaching other than that that came from the apostles by revelation of God. They had only one gospel. Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 teaches. They had no doctrine but Christ's doctrine. Second John and verse 9. They were Christians. They were only Christians. They weren't a particular kind of Christian. I'll tell you one time I remember as a kid. I don't know. I was brought up in the Baptist denomination. And I remember as a child playing with some neighbor kids. And they were talking about where they went to church. And guess what question I asked them? I said, what kind of church you go to? I said, well, we just go to a church. You know? Well, what denomination are you? Well, we're not any. Now, you know, I don't know what they were. Maybe they were just kids and they didn't understand it and all they knew was their group. I don't know. But then again... Maybe they were Christians. I don't know. But I remember even as a child thinking, that's crazy. No denomination. You have to be some kind of denomination. And yet, go back to Acts chapter 2, and they weren't. They were just Christians. And so, what denomination are we? Somebody asks you. You're inviting them to the meeting. They say, what denomination are you? Are you ready to know? You want to know what the answer is? I'm not a part of a denomination. And I need to address two groups to our guests. We here at the Franklin Church of Christ want you to understand this. We are not a part of a denomination. We are non-denominational. We are undenominational. In fact, looking through the Scripture and not finding authority for that type of organization, we are anti-denominational. 
what we can see from Scripture is that it is wrong to organize as a denomination because there is no authority for that. And so we haven't done it. We have no creed other than this. And we search it to understand what we're supposed to believe and teach. We have no organization beyond this local church. We have elders that are over this congregation, but we have no archbishops that are over more than one congregation. We have no presidents, councils, popes, nothing that is sending down from on high what we're supposed to do here. That's not to suggest that there aren't congregations out there that are like us. There certainly are. That's not to suggest that we don't understand that there are other Christians other than in this room. We recognize that. There are. There are other congregations that take this stand, and we appreciate that. We recognize and believe that everyone who has believed in Jesus Christ and repented of their sins and submitted to Him in baptism for the remission of their sins are Christians, children of God. We recognize that other congregations that are living based solely upon the Word of God, that they're right in the sight of God. But we don't have any counsel with them. They don't tell us what to do. We don't tell them what to do. We're not a part of a denomination. And the fact that our sign says the Franklin Church of Christ, that's not because we're of the Franklin branch of some organization called the Church of Christ. That's just not so. That's what's on our sign because we want want you to understand that is what we are. We are the group of people that belong to Christ meeting in Franklin. That's what we are. That sign could just as well say the Franklin Church of God. It could say the Lord's Church instead of the people's church. Because we're the church of the Lord, not the church governed by the people. We could say the saints who meet on Franklin Road. We could say any of these things. Not because that's our name, because that's what we are. And we want you to understand that. To our members, we have got to remember this. We are not a part of a denomination. We're not. There is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints denomination. We're not a part of that. There is the United Church of Christ denomination, and we are not a part of that. There is the Church of Christ Holiness USA denomination, and we are not a part of that. There is the Church of Jesus Christ, and we are not a part of that denomination. There is the Church of God denomination, and we are not a part of that. There is the Assembly of God denomination, and we are not a part of that. And if there is some denominational organization out there that goes simply by the name Church of Christ, we are not a part of that either. We are a group of Christians in the Middle Tennessee area who belong to Jesus Christ because our sins have been forgiven in His blood, who have banded together to worship God His way and do His work His way. And that is all we are. And we must remember that. Just because some other church has on their sign Church of Christ doesn't mean that they're doing the same thing we're doing, or that we're somehow linked together. And you know, just because it's not on there doesn't mean they're not doing what's right and that we're not linked to them through the blood of Christ. Because we're not a part of a denomination. We're a local body of believers 
That's all we are. So we're bonded together under a common leadership, using a common treasury to complete and accomplish a common work. And we belong to Christ. Somebody's going to say, oh, but Edwin, come on now. You know, when they ask that question, they're not going to understand. I mean, it's just a whole lot easier just to go ahead and say that. And, and you know, they'll get the picture. No, they'll misunderstand. And the reality is, it has always been easier to propagate and further error than to actually explain the truth. But let us not abandon the teachable moments. When somebody says to you, what denomination are you? And you say, none. I'm just a part of a local independent group that calls itself the Franklin Church of Christ. They'll say, oh, so you're part of Church of Christ denomination. Nope. Absolutely not. We're not connected with anybody else. There are a lot of other churches that may do what we're doing, but we are alone. We are non-denominational. We're anti-denominational. We don't believe in denominations. Would you like to get together and study that sometime? How about we get together and see what the Bible says about that? Of course, it's a lot easier for us because we don't always want to do that. Oh, we're Church of Christ. Brother, I'm just going to tell you, we've got to get rid of this language. We should not say, I'm Church of Christ. We need to get rid of the language that says, He's Church of Christ, She's Church of Christ. We need to quit saying Church of Christ doctrine because, brethren, listen, individually we're not Church of Christ. We are Christians, disciples of Christ, saints, believers. That's it. I am not Church of Christ. I'm a Christian. We don't teach Church of Christ doctrine because Christ's church didn't write the doctrine. Christ wrote the doctrine. And 2 John 9 says we need to abide within Christ's doctrine. Brethren, if we're writing the doctrine, we've got issues. We need to quit saying church of Christ preacher. Just talk about gospel preachers. Preachers of truth. Why? Because that's what they are. And oh, I've got to tell you this one. This one's subtle, but we really need to quit saying the other denominations. Because that subtly suggests that we are a part of a denomination and all the other ones are the other denominations. That's just not true. We are not a denomination. You think Paul ever talked about the other denominations? Of course not. Because they didn't have any. He wasn't a part of one. And we're not either. I'll tell you what. We are not a part of a denomination. And I will say this. If we are, we had better stop. Because we don't find denominations in the Bible. We find non-denominational Christianity, generic Christians, that's it. And churches that belong to the Lord. Groups of people that belong to Christ. And that's it. And that's what we need to be. Christ's church. God's church. I'll tell you a story that I want to end with. I remember several years ago, this didn't happen here. Which is why I'll go ahead and tell the story here. I was talking with a sister... And we were commiserating together about a congregation in our area that was falling away from the Lord. They were doing things with denominations. They were, they were compromising error. But the biggest complaint this sister offered to me was the fact that she looked up in the phone book one day and saw their name, and it wasn't under the Church of Christ heading, but under the non-denominational heading. And that's what she was upset about. And I'll tell you, it's sad to me in two ways. Number one, it's sad that a church that's following error might teach us something about the nature of the local church. But it's also sad to me that believers in Christ might be upset that there's a congregation out there that's claiming it's non-denominational when that is exactly what we have always claimed and exactly what we had better be. What denomination are we? None. And if you're here and you're not a member 
we want to ask you, what would you like to be part of? Generic Christianity? Or do you want to be just some kind of Christian? See, what we want to be is just Christians. Just following God's Word. No creeds other than Scripture, no organization beyond the local church, and Jesus is our head. And just be the body of believers. A church of Christ. That is a group of people belonging to Christ. And if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd love to have you. I certainly hope this lesson has benefited you and helped you and helped you to understand exactly the nature of the Franklin Church of Christ. I recognize that in our modern world, non-denominational, undenominational, anti-denominational Christianity is almost unheard of and is almost impossible to fathom. But that is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2 and that is exactly what we're striving to emulate here at the Franklin Church of Christ. If you have any questions about Christ Church, about the churches we read about it in the Scripture, about the Franklin Church, please give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you can contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on CD or audio tape. If that's the case, let me encourage you to go back to that website I just mentioned, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there, both in outline and audio format, that you're free to download and use in whatever way will honor and glorify God and draw others closer to Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.